God is good all the time. Amen. Every day. We're going to read through Psalm 72 this morning. Um, <clears throat> different people believe different things about Psalm 72. You'll see if you have the ESV, it says of Solomon. That could also be translated for Solomon. So either being written by Solomon or by David for Solomon's coronation. Uh, you'll see a, it's a royal psalm, psalm of the, uh, written for the coronation of Solomon, but it's also a messianic psalm through which we look and see Solomon and every other king as a type of Jesus, the true and greater king who would come. So let's look and read Psalm 72 together this morning. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations May he, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Reminds me of Psalm 2 there. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their lives. Precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we yearn for this kind of righteous rule on this earth. We yearn for your glorious name and your glory to fill the earth. We pray for our leaders and see many weaknesses, but let that not stop us from praying, especially for their salvation but also that they might, even despite themselves sometimes, rule wisely. But Lord, we do look through this royal psalm and this prayer of 
coronation of Solomon. We look through it to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. On the throne with all power in heaven and earth now. Ruling and reigning for his church to see his gospel go to the ends of the earth. One day, he will finish his work. Lord Jesus, you will come again. You will judge the world in righteousness. If not before, your enemies will cower before you. Your saints will rejoice in your coming and your glory. There will be a judgment. There will be a new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. We have a living hope and a living risen Savior. May that living hope fuel us to love you and live for you. To love our neighbor as ourself and be light and salt and a witness to them. To love one another the way Christ has loved us. And in the midst of the trials and the struggles and the wickedness of the rule in this earth so many times, may we look above the sun and rest in you and know the one who is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Bless us, Lord, to rest in the true and greater Son who does own and rule the nations and will come again someday. We give thanks to you as we have sung because you are good and your steadfast love, your faithful covenant love for your people endures forever. So we praise and thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Let's stand once again, if you're able, and sing, I will glory in my Redeemer, if you're using the hymnal number 196.
of one heart and mind. Quarrels, wars ceased. All focused on Christ. Loving and honoring and glorifying and worshiping Him and living for Him in purity forever. That's coming. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is our promise and our hope. We can rest in Him to fulfill it. Turn to Romans chapter 14, if you would. We're still digging to figure out what it means to be living sacrifices. We've been challenged to be so in 12.1 and uh, still unfolding that. But something very important for us here in this text today that we must grasp. But I'm going to read from verses 1 to 12 and then we will look at verses uh, 7 and 8. And they're really just uh, expanding upon one theme in those verses that help us then apply the rest of these things that are around them as far as uh, not judging or despising one another and and all the things we see in this section. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to him. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, your spirit must illumine your word. So we pray for your blessing and help. I pray for your blessing and help to preach your word. Preach it rightly. I pray, we pray for your blessing and help to hear your word and understand it well and live in its light. We know this is your will. We therefore know that we can pray with 100% confidence that you will bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Open our hearts and minds to love it, strive to understand and grow in it, 
and live in its light for your glory and our good. So bless us, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This ain't a song for the brokenhearted. No silent prayer for the faith departed. I ain't going to be just a face in the crowd. You're going to hear my voice when I shout it out loud. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. The year was 2000. The source of the bad grammar was Bon Jovi. And the title of the song is It's My Life. We're all born singing that song in some form or another, aren't we? Captain of my own fate. It's my life. Take care of number one. He who dies with the most toys wins. But does that match with Scripture? And especially, listen, I'm primarily talking to Christians this morning. Those who have repented and trusted in Christ and in Christ alone. Not that there's nothing here for you if you're not a Christian, because the gospel is here for you. But especially being a Christian, you become a believer. Is this how it works? You become a believer, and then God makes your life better by helping you live your life. Helping you live your best life now. Is that how it works? You're in deep trouble if this is your best life. We're going to have a look at this today from the text. This text contains a radically transforming truth. It's a fundamental truth. And it will change your life if you get it. So I'm going to ask a question. The title of the sermon is, Whose Are You? And we're going to look at verse 7 and 8 and see this. Christian, your life is not your own. You don't call the shot. Well, I'm going ahead and preaching. Let me just give you the main point. Christian, your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus. So glorify Him in both your life and your death. It's just dying to self. This is an important principle of living the Christian life and of living in the way Paul is talking about here, not judging one another and all these things we see in the context. But the point I want us to see, the first part of that point, point number one in, in verse 7, is that you, your life is not your own. Christian, your life is not your own. We don't decide what we're going to do and then just kind of bring Jesus in on our plans and our picture. If you've tried that as a Christian for a while, you found out that doesn't work. You've heard it said, if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. But your life is not your own. And in, in the ESV here, it says, none of us lives to Himself, none of us dies to, uh, to Himself. The New American Standard, Romans 14, 7, says, not one, emphasizing, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. Ideally speaking. The Christian, 
Look at that verse in, in Romans fourteen seven. Who's the us there? That's, that's the believer. That's the one Paul's written to, the ones who is trusting in Christ, the one who's living for Christ. And it says, we, <clears throat> as believers in Christ, do not live for ourselves. Not one of us lives for himself. We are not the Lord of our lives. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Do you not know? In other words, you should know this or remember this. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have for God. Now, look, this is the reason I use this first. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. We've been singing that today, and I didn't tell them what I was going to preach when they picked these songs. You are not your own. Christian, look at me. Let that, you are not your own. You are not your own. Why? For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The goal is not for me to make up my own plans and live my own life and have God bless my plans. Now, sometimes God has worked in us and his plans for our life kind of mesh up with what um, we are desiring and want to do. But we, have, we must own this principle. I must own this principle that as a believer in Jesus, I'm not my own. I'm his servant. He, he can send me wherever he wants to send me, do with me whatever he wants to do with me. That's why all of my prayers need to be bathed in. Not my will, but yours be done. That is the most faith, faith-filled pray, prayer you can pray. So you don't, we, don't, we, are not, we don't live for ourselves because we're not our own. Look, number two, you see back in that verse, we don't die for ourselves. No one, the Christian does not die for himself. He's not the Lord of his own death. Even at death, the believer's main goal is to glorify God. This too is a conscious submission to the Lord. Both life and death are under his sovereign control. And for his glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and be miserable forever. Is that it? Now to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Because we are created by Him. And every one of our days, the Bible teaches us, are written down in His book before there was one. You will live every one of your days written down in God's book and not one more, but not one less. He's the sovereign Lord. We can trust Him in our life and give ourselves to Him in our life and we can trust Him in our death. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves because we are not self-centered as Christians. We are to deny ourselves and look to Jesus and follow Him. That's why many believers can pray at death. Psalm 31.5. You even heard it from the cross. Psalm 31, 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. The rest of it, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So look back at verse 7. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies for, for himself. We are not our own. Your life is not your own because you're created by God. 
Therefore, his chief end is your chief end. And you've been redeemed by Christ. You've been purchased by Christ. Christ lived for us. He died for us. And he was raised the third day for us, proving it all true. And that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose the third day according to the Scriptures. And salvation is through trusting in Him. We don't work to be saved. We work because we have been saved. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son to live for us to die for us and to be raised for us. He lived. He came. He was incarnate. Why? He was born under His own law. God taking on a human nature. The God-man, Jesus, came and was born in a low condition under His own law. Why? That He might fulfill all righteousness for us. And He kept that law in thought, word, and deed. And then He went to the cross and died. Why? He was the Lamb of God foreshadowed by all the Old Testament pictures. The one who could, could and won would die for his people's sins, suffer the horrible physical agony of the cross, and yet overarching and and overwhelming all of that, take the cup of God's wrath, do the sin of his people, and drink that cup dry. So that before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. And then he was raised the third day, proving it's all true. That's why Christian, your life is not your own. So, number two, if it's not my own, number two, you belong to Jesus. Verse eight, if we live, we live to the Lord or for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we die, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Look at that end of that verse. We are the Lord's. We belong to Him. We are not our own. We belong to Him. He purchased us. He, he, he redeemed us from the shackles of slavery and sin. And He freed us from that. And like the, the, the servant in the Old Testament who didn't want to leave his good master, his ear was pierced with the awe, we therefore run willingly to Him, being set free out of love and rest in Him. As our Savior. But look at that, what that says clearly. This is really going to change things if you really grasp this at the end of verse 8. We are the Lord's. If you are a believer, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to the Lord. There's some precious parts of Scripture that talk about this. Think about it. Here's one Titus 2 11 to 14. I think a lot of these are in your bulletin this time if you want to look there. But for the grace of God has appeared. How? Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, training us. Look what grace trains us to do. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing, the coming again, of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, now watch this, who gave himself for us to do a couple of things, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to to purify for himself a people. Now look at that next little phrase. For his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 
So he came, he came to redeem us and purify us, a people for his own possession. If you're trusting in Christ, you belong to Christ. Christ is your life. We say that a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6. We'll flash back into the Old Testament. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Speaking to Israel there. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people. What? Look. For his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I mean, do you identify that way? And I know that word identifying has gotten all messed up. But do you own your identity? Let me put it that way. As his treasured possession. Is that how you think of yourself? If you're in Christ, if by his grace you have trusted in Christ and been cleansed from your sin and clothed in his righteousness, you are his possession. But notice there are more words than that. His treasured possession. Is that how you see God thinking about you? The better you get the gospel, the more rested you are in his grace, the more you see his arms wide open to you and his face inviting to you. Child of God, you are his treasured possession. By the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer, the sovereign, you, you fill in the attribute titles, you're his treasured possession, his child. You're confident of his love. The better you get the gospel, the more confident you will be of his love for you. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one Christ has died for all his church. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. What's the purpose? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You can see it in the different words there that we've been purchased. We've been transformed. We've been adopted. We're his now. We're his treasured possession. And our purpose, therefore, is to no longer live for self, but for God, for Christ. Look, we read Deuteronomy. Now let's read 1 Peter and see that being applied to the church. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And a people with a purpose. Look, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God's people. All different ways of saying in verse 8, we are the Lord's. Look what Charles Hodge said. No Christian, now, being sanctified. No Christian considers himself his own master or free to regulate his behavior according to his own will or his own ends. He is Christ's servant and therefore endeavors, strives, tries, you know, to live according to Christ's will and for his glory. 
We are entirely His, having no authority over life or death. Is that how you think about yourself? If it's not, it needs to be. So we, we, we have this idea that we just kind of are the ones who, we, we accept Him as our Savior and we kind of decide whether or not He's going to be Lord. And, you know, we still call our own shots and expect Him to bless that. And we run off contrary to His Word and things fall apart and we go, why? We are entirely His having no authority over life or over death. And being His, we are to look to Him to proclaim His excellency and seek to live for Him according to His Word. You see why I tell you, you can't follow Christ without being in the Word. Your feelings will lead you astray. Follow your heart is some of the most wicked advice you will ever get. It might work for Jiminy Cricket, but he's a cartoon. It means he's not real. Isn't that what everybody's being told these days? Follow your heart. That's being authentic. No, that's being dumb. Because most of the time it will be rebelling against God and reaping what that deserves. Look back at verse 8 again. The end of it. Let's read the whole thing. For if we live... We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, in conclusion, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Christian, if you are trusting, if you are legitimately trusting in Christ Jesus for your salvation today, you are His. His treasured possession, belonging to Him. No longer to live for you, calling your own shots, but to live for Him. We are the Lord's people. He created you. He redeemed you. He treasures you. Come on, do you believe me? God treasures you. Don't look inside yourself to see if that's true. You know where you look to know God treasures you? Well, the Word tells me that. You look to that cross. Because you didn't deserve that. If you were the only one, He didn't have to do that. That cross shows the greatness of my sin and misery and my unworthiness, but the greatness of His love and devotion to His people. He would sacrifice Himself to save us, to purchase us, to protect us, to take us all the way home to glory. He treasures you. Trust Him. Trust Him. You're His possession. And you know how you express trust in Him? You get to know Him in His ways and walk, seek to walk in them in His strength. So that takes us to the third point. So live it out. Live it out. You don't belong to yourself. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus. Live like it. Aim at it. Press into it. Focus on it. Own who you are, light and salt, salt of the earth, disciple, follower of Christ, God's treasured possession. Own, live like you have everything necessary for life and godliness. You've been totally forgiven of your sin, clothed in His righteousness, adopted into His family, given the Word of God, filled with His Holy Spirit. Live 
Now he's changed my heart so that I delight in him and it grieves me when I fail, not the other way around. And I want to walk fully in his commandments with joy out of love for him. And someday that'll be true when I'm glorified. But now I'm pressing into it. And if I'm going to press into glorify him with my life, I better know who I am and whose I am. He didn't leave us to figure it out. He bought us. He purchased us. We're His. We're in Him, in union with Christ, hidden in Him. One way it's said. Listen, live, live like you believe the gospel. I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's just a test for us, isn't it? I don't think he had a scowl on his face when he said it. He just matter-of-factly saying it. Love for Christ results in joyful obedience to Christ. Enjoys believing His Word and pressing into following Him. Some of us have a profession of faith that's not bearing any fruit, and we need to examine that. Because if the Spirit's in me, I'm going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the major fruit of the Spirit is loving Jesus and submitting to Him and believing I'm His. So, A, live for Him. Our default, listen, our default setting is living for self. We'll wake up every morning defaulting back to that setting. That's why we need the gospel every day to remind us whose we are. Reminding us that we are His. We're here for Him. We're to joyfully live for Him because He's joyfully lived for us and died for us and been raised for us, is reigning for us, and is coming again for us someday. And the, one of the main parts of living for him we saw in First Peter is proclaiming the excellencies who, of him who called us out of darkness, the darkness of this world and this world system and this world's philosophies into his marvelous light, his truth, his way, his word, who he is for us. But if we're, listen, if we're going to live for him and certainly if we're going to speak for him, we have to know whose we are, what our status is before Him. Listen, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, God did that. God did that. Peter would tell us He caused us to be born again. How do we know we're born again? Because we, we turn and trust in Jesus. We are walking in a repentant faith in Christ. We have to know who we are. We're going to walk in the way we should walk. And we have to know whose we are. And if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are His. The Lord. I mean, think about it. That just sets all these scriptures on fire. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not lack. That's what that means. You're going to want a lot of stuff. Don't, kids, don't misinterpret that verse. I won't lack anything I need. He'll lead me in the paths of righteousness into the green pastures of, of His way, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He's my shepherd. I am His sheep. I belong to Him. He is not just with me and for me. He's in me, working in me to bring these things to pass. So live for Him. And you will live for Him if you're ready to die for Him. If I prepare, I've told y'all this a hundred thousand times, if I can prepare you to die well, you're ready to live well. 
If you're willing to die in Jesus, trusting in him, and die with him if necessary, if it means you either die or you deny him, you're ready. See, the gospel not only prepares us to live well, it prepares us to die well. Whether that be a ripe old age or a young age, whether we die from an accident or from being martyred, it's all under his control. And But because we are his, we can die well. Listen, we quote it all the time. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's our theme verse. To die is gain is not saying it's okay to take an easy way out. But it means I can trust Him to be faithful in his, to His promises to me even in my death. That my death for me because I am His will be a setting free. It will be me Oh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He has defanged death for me. Therefore, it's not to say give up. I can live for Him. And I can live for Him with confidence. Every one of the days He's written down for me, I will have. So I can do it in confidence. But it will start with me really getting a grip on whose I am. Are you yours? Are you scared to relinquish that? Has that cross not taught you you can trust Him? What other king would you want than one who would sacrifice himself to save you? What other king would you trust than one who would sacrifice himself to save you? So, Christian, you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. His glory is now your purpose. So, how do we apply these things? Just a few things and I'll be done. But number one, own His grace. The old Puritan liked to say, rest in His grace. Placing all of your hope in His grace and not in you. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised for you, guaranteeing your resurrection. Jesus is reigning for you. And Jesus is coming back for you someday. And all of that was planned before the foundation of the world. His salvation is a free gift to us, Scripture says. So repent. Turn from running from Him and rebelling against Him and seeking to go your own way. Getting a little hot over there, that speaker. And turn to Him to trust Him for salvation and submit to Him for life as being His treasured possession. Turn from unbelief to faith. First act of repentance, a change of the direction of my soul. From rebellion to submission. From unbelief to faith. From hatred to love. Seeking now to live for Him in His glory. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you come to the place in your life where you see, I deserve condemnation. I have violated His law. I've broken. I am a sinner who deserves rejection and condemnation. But you've also seen the hope and the mercy that's available in Christ so that you've turned and trusted Christ. Listen, I'm here to tell you, if you're trusting in Christ, that just reveals that He's at work in you. 
that your salvation was planned before the foundation of the world. The Father gave you to his Son. The Son covenanted to be the mediator of the covenant to come and save us and the Spirit to apply that redemption to our heart through the gospel. He saved you. He is sanctifying you. And he will glorify you. And it's all grace. Not one scintilla of it is based on what you do. Now, your life will give evidence to salvation if if he has saved you. But he doesn't save us by our works. He saves us by his grace. Yes, he saves us unto good works. We see that in Ephesians 10. That's just what he works in us, our sanctification. If you are a child of God this morning, as Peter says it, place your hope fully in the grace to be brought to you in Christ Jesus. You can rest, child of God. You might ask yourself questions. Well, I don't know if I've been good enough. Ticket. You haven't. That's the whole point. Christ died for righteous people. Is that what Paul said? He died for sinners. Those who don't measure up. Those who can't figure it out. Those who can't save themselves. He died for them. And it's a complete salvation. Now, all you'll know is that you're, you know, you're convicted and you've turned and you've trusted in Christ and you're seeking to walk with him and you're failing a lot and hopefully growing in grace. But you can know behind all that he's at work in you, growing you up in grace, and he will finish that process. Justification is an act of God's grace. Go read the definition. Sanctification is a work of his grace, culminated in glorification. Grace fully applied will be when... We are with Him, spirit and body, soul and body, in the new heavens and the new earth forever. You are saved this way by trusting in Christ. So rest in Him. Just rest in Him. Because the, wor- the world, the flesh, and the devil tries to get me to trust in me. And that's a recipe for misery. But I can rest in His grace. I can lean on Him. I can... Rest my weight of my salvation fully on him and know that that he's got me. Number two, having rested in his grace, own your identity. And your identity is not what you feel like it is or you decide it is, okay? You are not your own. This is your identity. You are not your own. You are his. His treasured possession. His people. You are not just a believer. You are a belonger. By the way, I didn't make that up. That's a real word. Who is a native of some countries. You are not just a believer. You're a belonger. Yes, you believe, but you believe because you belong. You belong to Jesus. Shouldn't that, shouldn't my first response to that just be, Wow. You mean he would come and save his enemies like me and not just forgive me, but clothe me in his righteousness and I would be adopted as a child of God? Really? This kind of love God has for us? Read First John. That we should be called the children of God? You are rested in his grace and you belong to him. This is child. 
And He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you really know Him, you'll never forsake Him. This is an aside a little bit. Those who forsake Him, those who deconstruct, never were constructed. They had some form of easy believism that didn't fulfill everything they wanted it to do and therefore they, they reveal who they are. He glorifies, He sanctifies, He glorifies everyone He justifies. And if, he, if you're not going to be glorified, He didn't justify you. You had a form of Christianity that wasn't the true thing. So don't ever tell anybody. I was, if you do turn from Christ... Don't ever look at it. people and say, well, I was one. I was a real one. No, you wasn't. That's why we need to examine ourselves. See if we be in the faith. That happens every time we celebrate Lord's Supper. That's what we're supposed to do. But we look at His Word to tell us what a believer is and not our feelings. Rest in His grace. Own your identity. You are His. And then thirdly, own your responsibility, therefore. And this will be the, out, the desire of your heart if you know Him. Go read Psalm 119. It'll take you a little while. And watch for all the times you hear something like, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I strive to be what you, you say I should be and want me to be. That's the new heart. The new heart will love the Word and seek to walk in it. Own your responsibility, therefore, as one who doesn't belong to themselves but belongs to Christ to live for Him. And that's what we've been studying. Remember in the first part of chapter 12, based on the mercies of God, which is the gospel, the first part of the book showed us that all have sinned and need a Savior, that Christ is that Savior. A Jew and Gentile can trust in Christ and be saved and be sanctified and know that it was all God's idea, Romans 9-11. through 11. There's your summary. Romans 12, 1 begins with, by the mercies of God. Everything I've talked about, Paul says in chapters 1, 11, by the mercies of God, now your responsibility is to present your body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? One that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, it says. My responsibility, this, this is kind of, I mean, I don't know if kids still say this, but duh. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a follower of Christ, which means you follow Him. You, you do what He says, right? You live for Him. So in, what we've seen in, in chapter 12 through 14 so far is that it, 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 our responsibility is to live for Him. It's to be loving and accepting of one another. It's to be patient with one another and loving one another the way Christ has loved me. It's to live in harmony with one another and outdo one another in showing honor. It's to express genuine love, Christ-like love, joyfully using your gifts in service to His church, walking in humility, not thinking more of yourself than you should, continually having your mind transformed by his word and all that to say since his gospel is true and since he has purchased you for himself present yourselves as living sacrifices holy holy and acceptable to him which is your spiritual worship is this the Christianity that you are familiar with where Christ not only grants me heaven, He claims me as His own. He's lived for me. 
fulfilling all righteousness for me. He's died for me, paying the penalty for it. Look at me. All of my sins and all of yours if you trust in him. He's been raised, assuring my justification, sanctification and glorification, my salvation. And he's coming again. And when he comes back, I'll be like him. Glorified. Done with all the struggle with sin. Living with him in perfect joy and purpose forever. Well, I'm going to end by changing Bon Jovi's lyrics just a bit. Let's rewrite it this way. It's his life. I'm going to live forever. I just want to live for him while I'm alive. My heart has been transformed by his way. Like Jesus commands, I did it his way. It's his life. Christian, you are his. So live his way. Sacrifice yourself to glorify him with your life and death. All because you love him. Because he first loved you. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We're in awe of you and your grace. It is truly amazing grace, Lord Jesus, that you would come to live for and die for and be raised for and reign for and come again for those who are your enemies. That you came to save a people. You came, as Paul said, to save sinners. Thank you for hope in the midst of this dark world. Thank you for forgiveness and cleansing and clothing and adoption and all of the benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus. Union, all coming through union with Christ. That we have died with Christ and been buried with Christ. And as Romans 6 taught us, raised to newness of life. Real joy. Real purpose. Real comfort. Real security. In a real Savior. Who is Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, I pray for those who don't know you. Maybe will hear this or are here today. That you grant them to turn and trust in Christ. And for those of us who do. That we would press into a renewal. Of thinking of ourselves. The way you, you, you define us. That we are not our own. But belong to you Lord Jesus. And therefore, our purpose is to live for you and grow in your grace. Be light and salt. Lord, help us to adopt our identity of belongers to Jesus. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray and ask it. Amen.